Today we are continuing the sermon series we kicked off a couple of weeks ago, uh, Why? And we're looking at kind of the four or five uh, kind of basic calls of, of the church and of the individual and looking at why do we, why do, we do these things. Like a couple of weeks ago we looked at why worship, the primacy of worship, and, and it entails seeing God for who he is, seeing ourselves for who we are, seeing the gap, and worshiping God and thanking God for the salvation he gives us through Christ. Today we look at why grow. Uh, why, why are we called to, to grow in maturity in Christ-likeness? So is, does it just simply end after we make a prayer and then we're, we're good, or are we called to grow? And of course, we're called to grow, so we'll be looking at the keys of how to grow in Christ-likeness. You know, the way that we live our lives reveals to those around us what is the one thing that is most important to us. Let me repeat that. The way we live our lives reveals to those around us what is the one thing that is most important to us. You know, several years ago when the, when the kids were younger, I walked into our family room and, and I saw my youngest, uh, Reed, watching his favorite channel, Animal Planet. And, of course, um, being a, a little boy of five or six or so at the time, he, loved, he was fascinated with Animal Planet because there's all sorts of cool sharks and giant squid and snakes and spiders and all sorts of cool animals and, and, and so he was always watching Animal Planet. I walked in, I stopped for a second to see, okay, what's the animal of the day? You know, what's he watching? And it wasn't an animal, it wasn't a fish, wasn't a bird, wasn't an insect, wasn't a reptile. And you're thinking, well, what is, what is left? Uh, they were doing an episode on something called Humanimals. Now, you're probably like me, you never heard of something like that before, but Humanimals are individuals or people, persons, who, who feel such a strong attachment to a particular animal, and that they begin to identify themselves with that animal, whether it's a dog, a snake, a tiger, a wolf, or, or whatever. And anyway, on this show, they profiled seven uh, people who called themselves humanimals. One guy had spent over $200,000 on surgeries and tattoos to make himself look like a snake. He even split his tongue down the middle. Hard to believe. Another guy's apartment was filled with stuffed tigers, and he had this huge tiger suit that he would put on when he went out in public. And he would growl at people and paw at them and hug them if they would let him. Another guy identified with a tiger and, and he had whiskers implanted into his face, claws surgically put on the end of his fingers and tattoos to make himself look like a tiger. Kind of bizarre, bizarre stuff. And, and these people seemed rather harmless, I guess. Um, but for whatever reason, psychologically and emotionally, they, they had such a deep attachment feeling for these animals that they crossed the line and began to think of themselves and identify themselves as that animal. The way they lived their lives revealed the one thing to which they had the strongest attachment. It was pretty easy to figure out by looking at them, but for a lot of us, it's not always evident at first. Sometimes it may take a while for that one thing to be revealed. Sometimes that one thing is revealed during a time of stress, when push comes to shove and, 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 and what's really important to us is revealed. Sometimes it's revealed at the end of a person's life, when we, we see how they face death and, and what they cling to as their life ends. And for some people, that one thing is revealed when they're, after their death, when their, their, their will and testament is, is read. But eventually, sooner or later, our lives will reveal to the people around us what is the most important thing, what we are most strongly attached to. In John chapter 15, it was read just a second ago, Jesus says in verse 
5. I am the vine and you are the branches. And with these words, Jesus is, is on a journey. He's moving closer to the Garden of Gethsemane. It's, it's the night when he's being betrayed by Judas Iscariot, the night before he was crucified. And he and the disciples have just finished observing the Passover feast, which was a, a feast the Israelites, the Jewish people, would observe once a year to commemorate their deliverance from slavery out of Egypt. And, and just before chapter 15 begins, Jesus tells the disciples that he is going to be leaving them very, very soon. But he says, don't worry, I'm sending my Holy Spirit to, to comfort you and to guide you and direct you and help you. And then Jesus says, come, let us leave. And so Jesus and the disciples are, are walking through Jerusalem at night. Um, they're making their way through the city, through the outskirts, toward the Garden of the Gethsemane, which is on the outside of the, of the city walls. And, and, and surely they would have passed some vineyards as they were walking along. And Jesus used even this moment, he's facing death, but he uses even this moment to, as an object lesson to really teach the disciples about what's important and how to, how, to, how to be strong after he leaves this earth. And he says in verse 1, I am the true vine and my father is the gardener. He cuts off every branch in me that bears no fruit, while every branch that does bear fruit he prunes, so that it will be even more fruitful. You are already clean because of the word I've spoken to you. Remain in me as I also remain in you. No branch can bear fruit by itself. It must remain in the vine. Neither can you bear fruit unless you remain in me. I am the vine and you are the branches. And so John and Peter and James and Thomas and all the other disciples, they have spent three years already with Jesus Christ. They had hardly been a moment when they had not been with him and, and they were almost virtually attached at the hip, they had followed him so closely. But, but in a few moments, in just a few hours, they're going to distance themselves from Jesus. They're going to disassociate from him. They're going to detach themselves from the one who is now telling them, I'm the vine and you are the branches. Now, uh, we know this passage in John 15 as one of the I am sayings of Jesus. There are seven times in the Gospel of John where Jesus says, I am. And then he completes that beginning with some statement about who he is, his identity, and, and what he's come to do. Um, and, for instance, in John 6, the first of the I am's, I am the bread of life. He who comes to me will never go hungry. Chapter 8, I am the light of the world. Whoever follows me will never walk in darkness. Chapter 10, there's two I am's. I am the gate. Whoever enters through me will be saved. I am the good shepherd. The good shepherd lays down his life for the sheep. John 11, I am the resurrection and the life. Whoever believes in me will never die. And another I am is in John 14, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. And then here in John 15, I am the vine, you are the branches. Now in each of these I am statements, Jesus is, is making an extraordinary claim. He's claiming that he is in fact God. See, it goes back to in Exodus chapter 3, there's a passage where God calls Moses to go to Egypt and tell the Pharaoh, let my people go. And, and God speaks to Moses through a burning bush. And Moses understandably wants to know who this voice is. Who is this spirit, this presence that's calling him to do this crazy thing? And God says, I am who I am, which was the Hebrew word or phrase for Yahweh, Jehovah. In essence, what we call the Lord. And so when Jesus says, I am, in these seven saints, he's claiming to be the God of Israel the Savior of the world. And when he claims that he's the true vine, he's, he's saying that he's the only source of life and without him we cannot do anything. It really lasts. But with him, we will bear much fruit. 
Now, I'm not an expert on, on vineyards. Um, I do know enough, though, that the vine is the source of life and the branches are merely conduits of that life. And if a branch becomes disconnected from the vine, it simply cannot and will not bear fruit. But if a branch is closely connected in a healthy way to the, to the vine, it, will, it, it can't help but produce fruit, fruit. The branch is known by its fruit. And the Christian, the follower of Christ, is known by his or her uh, fruit in their lives. And the deeper and closer the attachment to Jesus, the more bountiful and the better and healthier the fruit. An Amish farmer was once asked by a roving evangelist, are you a Christian? And the farmer thought for a moment and, and he said, he says, why are you asking me? He said, ask my banker or my grocer, ask my neighbor, ask my wife and my children. They can tell whether or not I'm a Christian. Bishop Stephen Neal says to be a Christian means to be like Jesus Christ. In other words, to be a Christian doesn't simply involve certain uh, mental assent to certain doctrines or truths. And to be a Christian doesn't simply mean to live a, by a certain code of ethics or morality. To be a Christian, in its most basic form, means to follow Jesus Christ, to be closely attached to him, and to become more and more like him in the process. And if we want to be like Christ, then we've got to do something that Jesus mentions 11 times in these 17 verses. Abide in me. Remain in me. Which implies some sort of response of doing life with Jesus Christ, doing work with him, doing work. Uh, play with him, doing, traveling with him, staying with him, being present with him, doing life. Abide in me and remain in me. Remaining in Christ means I no longer rely on my own sufficiency, my own strength, or my own anything. It's solely a matter of his sufficiency. He is the vine and we are the branches. C.S. Lewis, who is the author of Chronicles of Narnia and a lot of awesome books as well, illustrates what this means when he writes, A car is made to run on gas. And it would not run properly on anything else. God designed the human machine to run on himself. He is the fuel our spirits were designed to burn. The food our spirits were designed to feed on. There is no other. God cannot give us a happiness and peace apart from himself because it is not there. There is no such thing. If we abide and if we remain, by the way we live our lives, people will know without a doubt who is the most important thing to us the one to whom we are most closely attached. The greater the attachment, the greater the fruit, the greater the love. St. Francis of Assisi was the son of a wealthy landowner in the Middle Ages, and he, he loved God, but he struggled with feeling close to God. But he gave himself to prayer and God's word, and as, as his, his relationship and attachment to Christ grew, he, he was convicted and he radically changed his life and he gave up his wealth and he served the poor and needy. And there's countless other examples of that. Mother Teresa giving her life to lepers in India. George Mueller, a great prayer warrior in the UK, giving his life to serve orphans. Billy Graham, just celebrated his 95th birthday, giving his life to lead millions of people to faith in Christ. Or Grace McKenzie. You're wondering, who is, who is Grace McKenzie? Grace is a woman now well into her 70s who lives in Prince Albert, Saskatchewan and she was in the, in, in the, that was the first church that I served out of seminary. And she worked for the provincial government in a kind of a mid-level job, uh, lived in a small house in a humble part of town, a really great lady, but fairly quiet, never married, although she wanted to, never had kids, although she loved them. She's a pretty remar unremarkable person, really, in many ways, except she has a great love and attachment to Jesus Christ. 
As a young pastor in the church, um, she was a, a godsend to me. She prayed for me every day. She gave me a prayer uh, that I still have in my office and my desk that she prayed for me every day. She served at this church faithfully, even when politics and people probably could have discouraged her. She always had a positive attitude. She, she took several foster kids into her house over the years because they needed a, a roof over their heads and somebody to love them. She had a special connection with a young single mom called Loretta who had three strapping boys who could have easily gone the wrong way in life. And she supported Loretta. She helped them out. She even paid for their college, all three of them. And to this day, two of them are youth pastors in Canada. Now, Grace isn't anyone remarkable on her own, but her life was marked by remarkable dependence upon Jesus Christ. And her fruit showed it. The greater the attachment to the vine, the greater the love for others and God, the greater the fruit. Dallas Willard, a Christian philosopher and author, in his book entitled The the, the Divine Conspiracy, uh, writes about God's design, his plan, his conspiracy to work in us and through us. And it has much to say to the church about how we do discipleship. It has much to say to the church, some really challenging words um, about the fruit of the church and how what it says about how closely we are or are not attached to Christ. But in the book, he says the primary goal of the church is not to do evangelism. Although he does say that urgency for sharing the gospel is very important. He says it's not about doing social justice, although the only way we could avoid doing it would be to ignore huge chunks of the Bible. He says it's not about Christian education, although learning about God through study is, it should be a high priority. He says it's not even about worship, although certainly we are to make all of our lives a living sacrifice, an act of worship to God. He says the goal of the church is to help people grow in Christ-likeness, to help them become more and more like Jesus Christ in their thoughts, their words, and their actions, because everything else flows out of that. It's a, it's, a, it's a fruit that grows out of that. And it's hard to argue against that. And, and it's not a new idea, because Martin Luther, the great reformer in the 1500s, said much the same thing. He said, we are to be little Christ in the world. And 2 Peter 3.18 says, we are to grow in the grace and knowledge of Christ. And if we're doing so, if we're growing in Christ-likeness, we'll begin to share about a relationship with the Father very naturally in a conversation with a neighbor or friend. And we'll begin to help the poor and the needy because we'll, our heart will be broken by the things that breaks God's heart. And we'll begin to hunger and thirst for his word and our prayer life will begin to grow and our worship will be changed. As a person goes deeper in a relationship with Christ, becomes more attached to the vine, mission further, further mission just naturally occurs. The theologian Helmut Tielicke points out that we often wonder if celebrities who advertise food and beverages actually consume the products they are selling. He goes on to say that this is the very question most pressing for those of us who claim to follow Christ. Are we consuming what we're selling? Are, are, we, are we doing and believing what we're endorsing? The only way, Jesus says in John 15 is by our fruit. The way we live our lives reveals to those around us what is the one thing to which we are most closely attached. What is my life and what does your life reveal? I am the vine, Jesus said, and you are the branches. Remain in me. 
Because if you do, you will bear much fruit. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we come before you and we thank you for your word of truth. And we thank you that Jesus truly is the source of life. And Lord, we just pray that our attachment to Jesus Christ, our, our growth in him would, would increase. That the fruit of our lives would be pleasing to you and would point people to the fact that, hey, that, that person really believes what they say. Uh, and that person really puts Jesus Christ as the highest priority. Father, as we come to the table now in just a moment, um, we thank you for the sacrifice that Jesus made on our behalf, that his blood was shed for our sins and his body was broken so that we could be made whole and be raised back to, to life. So, Lord, as we come to the table, we ask that our eyes would be opened, um, our hearts would be warmed, um, that we would really use, use this time, Father, to draw us closer to you, that we would produce fruit for you, Lord Jesus. We ask this in your name. Amen.